Thank you, Matt, for sharing. Appreciated that. Um, good words and uh, always good to kind of have an update and know how things are going. And I know a lot of people are praying for you and uh, adoption process and all of that. So I just encourage you as a congregation to continue to do that. Three weeks ago, I was going to preach this message, and I had in my notes then that our deacon ordination is eight weeks away. Well, I have my figures right now. It is three or five weeks away that we're going to have deacon ordination. Lord willing, five weeks from right now, we'll either know who that brother and family is, or uh, we'll know who's in the lot, and we'll be praying about that moving forward. That brother may be here this morning. I don't know. Some of our people are missing, so may be here this morning, may not be. We don't know that. And I know there are many qualified men and or couples here, but we expect the Lord to choose one brother to carry on the work of deacon here at Salem. Now, I'm going to say a couple of things that I'll say now before the ordination, because after the ordination, it may not be uh, received as well. So let me just say these things. First of all, I know in the past we have talked about possibly having two uh, deacons at some point, especially depending on age, families, responsibilities, and so forth. I don't know that we will. I'll say that now so that after the ordination, if I'd say maybe we should look toward another deacon ordination, oh, you didn't get the one you wanted, so you don't want another one here. I'm just saying that that may be something as we move ahead, ask the brother, how's it going, and our needs being met. And maybe when we look at the first passage this morning in Acts, you can see that there was a need and needed to be met. And the other thing that I'll say is sometimes uh, a deacon is ordained deacon and then later ordained to, as a minister. Brother Jerry was a deacon prior to being ordained minister. And so that could happen as well, that the brother would be a later ordained minister. Now, we had an interesting conversation, I think it was in one of our ministers' meetings. We often think about a deacon being ordained to minister, but we never talk about a minister being ordained as deacon. Uh, sometimes maybe a minister who's been ordained, uh, we find out his giftings are more toward deacon and could move the other direction. If, if there is a direction there, I'm not sure. Uh, but anyway, it's kind of an interesting concept that we've never really talked about or thought about much. Often you'll see, uh, sometimes you'll see a deacon ordained as minister later, but I don't know that I can personally say I've ever heard of it the other way around. But So those are some things that could happen. Um, I will say this, we're not looking for a perfect man or couple. As I talk about the qualifications this morning for a deacon, we're not looking for someone that's perfect. Now, it'd be nice to help balance out the imperfect ministry you have now. If, we could, if you can find one, that would be really nice, although probably for the rest of us, it would be hard to work with someone who's perfect, or at least be hard for them to work with us. Uh, but There are qualifications, however. You might say, well, shouldn't anyone, any brother in the church be qualified to take this on? If that were the case, I don't think the Scripture would lay out qualifications for uh, whether it's a deacon or bishop. And I will say this as well, when you look at the qualifications, and I, look at, I read through those qualifications, I, I see more how short I fall, it seems like, than to 
that I meet up to these qualifications. So you're not going to find someone who is perfect, but you should find someone who generally meets these qualifications that are given in the Scripture. Turn with me to Acts chapter 6, and we'll see here where the need for deacons was first evident in, the, in this church as this church was quickly growing and a lot of people becoming Christians and you had people of different cultures, different backgrounds and so forth and you had some widows who were uh, Grecians, not, apparently not a background of being Jews or Hebrews and there seemed to be, whether or not it was accurate, there seemed to be a feeling that they were not taking care of, being taken care of as well as those who were Hebrews. And so, starting at verse 1 of Acts chapter 6, it says, And in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve, this would have been the apostles, called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look you out among you, seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenius, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. When they set, when they set before the apostle, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them, and the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. And then the next verse says, And Stephen, full of faith and power. You'll notice that about him. And if you go over to Verse 55 of chapter 7, it's talking again about Stephen. It says, but he being full of the Holy Ghost. So he was a man filled with the Holy Spirit. Let's go back and take a look at this passage here. First of all, it's interesting that the apostle said, we're not going to leave the preaching of the word and serve tables. That's interesting, if you look at that word serve in verse 2, and this is kind of an aside maybe from the qualifications part, but if you look at that word serve in verse 2, and the word ministry of the word in verse 4, they are both very similar words, almost identical, and they both come from the word that we get the word deacon from. So it's the Greek word deacon there basically. So what they're saying is, we are not going to leave the word, the preaching of the word, and be deacons to people. And, and, we, we're, we, and then if you go to verse 4, it says, uh, We will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the serving of the word, the same word deacon. So there is a different responsibility within the ministry, and that is the ministers and I'm not exactly sure how this all falls in place. Bishop, ministers are to give themselves to the deacon or the serving of the word, and the deacons are to serve the people. Now, it's interesting, and I believe Owen and Wanda have done well at that, but it's interesting 
when someone has a need in our churches, as a pastor, I assume I'm supposed to, to go and so I am a servant to you and to God. And I, in reading this, I, I thought, this thought came to me, what might our churches and our preaching be like if we were so focused on serving the Word that we didn't even have time to maybe visit you, that was the deacon's work. We were so involved in serving. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't. I believe a pastor's work in our churches today is broad. But just something to think about, that these apostles said, we don't have time to serve in, in this idea of serving tables and handing out food and, and caring for those physical needs because we have to serve the Word so that we are uh, taking care of the spiritual side of the work. And then it says, <coughs> they say, so we can't do this, so we want you to look out from among you. So we're not looking to go to some college or seminary or uh, wherever to find somebody to fill this role. It says, look out from among you, and that's what we plan to do, is look for a brother who is among us, and then it gives some uh, specifics. They need to be men of honest report. Now, again, I say that there were probably, because the church was growing rapidly, there could have been hundreds of men that filled, this, uh, filled these, uh, these qualifications here and could have done this responsibility in this church. But they were supposed to look out seven men to take care of filling this need that was in the church. And they gave them this, so men of honest report. So if you're thinking about someone, who should I put down? What name should I put down? Who, should I, who do I believe the Lord would want me to put down? And you might think, well, the Holy Spirit, just give me a name and I'll just forget about it. No, the, the Lord gives us qualifications and then maybe if you have two or three or four in your mind and you believe that all of these would, would fill these qualifications, maybe six, eight, I don't know, then you pray and you fast that the Lord would show you which of those. And so, honest report. Is this someone who has an honest report? And I just think of this needs to be a brother who is a man of integrity. He's just a man of integrity. And then it says, full of the Holy Spirit. And I already mentioned that about uh, Stephen over here. A man full of the Holy Spirit. Now, what does it mean to be a man full of the Holy Spirit? Does this mean we want somebody who's, uh, you know, full of the Holy Spirit and they're uh, often jumping around the aisles and shouting and carrying on or whatever? Is that, that what we're talking about? Well, in some circles, that might be what would be expected if you're thinking of someone who is full of the Holy Spirit. I'm just going to, we're not going to spend a lot of time on each one of these, but I'd like if you would turn with me to Galatians chapter 5 and look at uh, some evidence there of the Holy Spirit being in someone's life. <clears throat> Galatians chapter 5, starting at verse 22, says, and <clears throat> if you want to know, <clears throat> Excuse me. If you want to know what a, what a tree is made out of, you look at the fruit, right? Well, here you have it. Is this brother filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, in verse 22 of chapter 5, Galatians says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, 
gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. But they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. Now, we sometimes forget about verse 25, thinking about verses 22 and 23 with regard to the Spirit. Verse 25 says, If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vain glory, provoking one another, envying one another. There are some of the evidences of a Spirit-filled man for this responsibility. Turn, go back to the book of Acts. If you flip over to chapter 11, when it's talking about Barnabas, and I, it's interesting about Barnabas, this is what it says about him, and he was not a deacon, as far as I know, but it says, for he was a good man and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith, and because of that, much people was added unto the Lord. Now you might say, well, does someone filled with the Spirit? Is just always, do they ever like kind of tell somebody how it really needs to be and, and so forth? Well, if you turn over to chapter 13, you're going to see something here about Paul. And they go to the Isle of Cyprus, he and Barnabas. And uh, John Mark was with them at this point, and they sailed to Cyprus, the island there, and, and they are uh, witnessing, and, and there's a, a, the governor of the island, some big cheese there they're trying to witness to, and this uh, sorcerer guy gets in their way and starts trying to uh, get in their way. And, and in verse 9 it says, And Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Ghost set his eyes on him and said, O full of all subtility and all mischief, thou child of the devil, thou enemy of all righteousness, wilt thou not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? He was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he said that. Now, I don't think we just go around on the streets and walk up to people that we don't think are saved and start calling, calling them children of the devil and so forth, but there comes a point where a spirit-filled person will say the truth sometimes that may not always maybe sound so kind. Someone, sometimes people say that you need to be brutally honest with people. And I would say, I heard someone just recently say this, and I like this better. It says, you're never brutally honest with some people, but you're truthfully honest with people. And sometimes... And it needs to be lovingly, but truthful sometimes may hurt a little bit. It may step on some toes. So this brother needs, a man, needs to be a man of integrity and filled with the Holy Spirit. And then it says also uh, they need to be people of wisdom. <clears throat> you have observed this brother in the church. Are they someone who makes wise choices? in just the areas of their life. Wise choices. What does that kind of wisdom look like? Turn to the book of James. And we could spend a lot of time talking about wisdom. You could go to Proverbs, of course, and, and look at a lot of verses there. But in James chapter 3, verses 13 to 18, it says, who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? 
Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not, and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. But the wisdom which is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. The fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. That is godly wisdom. The next passage that I will just uh, reference, you need not turn to it. We look at this passage in our communion services, feet washing service, is John chapter 13. We think about feet washing. And I would say as a deacon, and really all of us need to be, but especially as a deacon in the church, they need to be a feet washer. That means willing to stoop down and serve others. That's what it's about. I can imagine that those seven men that were called there, that are listed in Acts 6, did a lot of what we might call feet washing work. They were taking care of these widows, uh, Grecian widows, um, trying to make sure they had food on their table and caring for their needs and so forth. And it was a lot of just simply serving those people and those widows. And that's what we look for in a deacon, someone who is willing to serve others. Turn with me now to 1 Timothy, where you'll actually see a number of things listed regarding the qualifications of a deacon. And I might say that these qualifications that we're looking at, if you're thinking about someone and you're like, well, you know what, I think that brother could become this. I think if given enough time, they'll whatever. And I'm not saying, again, you're not going to find a perfect person that fits every one of these qualifications perfectly so that there's no oh no there's there's perfect but do you see flaws in some of these qualifications glaring flaws that it's like wow you know don't assume like sometimes people do when they get married that well the person will change the person will get different the person is whatever yes we should all be growing in our christian walk and there is something about being ordained that sometimes causes growth in areas, uh, at least it should. But don't just expect someone to change and suddenly fit all these things after they're ordained. It may not, may not come out quite like you think. <clears throat> and that doesn't mean that someone can't fall or fail after they're ordained as well. That certainly happens. None of us are perfect. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, it lists, first of all, the qualifications for a bishop. And you can read back over those because it's interesting. In verse 8, when it starts talking about the qualifications for deacon, it says, likewise. Now, I don't think it's saying they have to fill, that they have to find all those qualifications plus these. But it's basically saying, so the bishop or the, the lead elder, the pastor in the church, 
needs to have these qualifications. And then, likewise, there are qualifications for the deacons. And so starting in verse 8, it says, Likewise, must the deacons be grave, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy of filthy lucre, holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. And let those also first be proved. Then let them use the office of a deacon, being found blameless. Even so must their wives be grave, not slanderers, sober, faithful in all things. Let the deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their own houses well. For they that have used the office of a deacon well purchase to themselves a good decree and great boldness in the faith where is in Christ Jesus, which is in Christ Jesus. So what's it mean to be grave? What do you think? The deacons need to be grave. It talks about the bishop being grave. And I looked at a number of different definitions of those words and different ways that different translators translated it. And I would put it down in a couple of ways. One, they need to be a serious person, and they need to be honorable men of high principle. Now, serious, does that mean that they can never laugh, can never tell a joke or something as long as it's proper? They can never say something that's a little humorous? I hope not. But, it, and I still remember, and I... I don't see the brother here this morning that told me this, but I still remember standing up here after my ministry minister ordination and a brother coming through and saying, uh, telling me, uh, and I heard a lot of people told me a lot of things that day, but for some reason this one stuck. I said, don't lose your sense of humor, he said. And uh, about the time I was ordained in the ministry, we, uh, some things were changing in the business, and we had just, we bought our place where we live now, and and uh, I think it was probably six, eight months later, I was laughing about something, and my wife said, it's good to hear you laugh again. I was like, wow, I just about lost whatever I sense of humor I did have. It was just about gone. But can the person think seriously? They might be able to have a good time, a lot of laughs, a lot of fun, whatever. But if there's a serious matter, can they think seriously about it? And in that thinking seriously about it, are they honorable, and do they have high principles in their thought processes? Or is everything just always a joke, nothing's ever serious, whatever, it'll all come out, whatever, blah, blah, blah. They need to have a sense of seriousness, especially when it comes to their work uh, and the church, the church and, and the processes and so forth, and just the church in general, and their Christian life, of course. Then it says, not double-tongued. And that basically means to be two-faced. The Williams translation says, sincere in their talk. Are they sincere? Do they say one thing to this person, another thing to that person, another thing to this person? They say one thing and do something else. Another translation said, consistent in what they say and also living out. If they say this, then do they live it out? Or is it just something they say it doesn't really matter? And then it says, not given to much wine. One of the things about it, this passage is it mentions to the, uh, to the bishops over in verse 3, not given to wine, and here it says not given to much wine. I'm exactly sure what the difference is there, but we 
We've already talked about this, even going through our statement of faith and practice here recently, that the best thing in our culture where we have pure water and good drinks of all kinds and medications and so forth, just leave alcoholic beverages alone, whether it's not much or more. Just don't drink it. Not given to, to a strong drink is what was referenced here in this day. Not given to much wine. In other words, someone who does not need, and you could, you could look at this in, a, in different ways, but someone who doesn't need other things in their life to calm them down or to somehow make them feel good, they're filled with the Holy Spirit and they have a joy and they have temperance in their, and they're okay just in that way. Not greedy of filthy lucre. We don't often use some of those words. But it means someone who is not interested in dishonest gain, someone who's out to make money at the expense of others, someone who's not out to do things dishonest. And for that matter, someone who doesn't even, their focus isn't the love of riches. If someone's focus is the love of wealth and riches, they're probably not going to make that great of a deacon. The fact is, Paul instructs Timothy in this way here and he also references it in another passage where he says something in the sense that uh, for the love of money is the root of all evil. Paul observed the fact that money and power was, was, had the ability to corrupt. Now that doesn't mean that someone who is wealthy cannot be a deacon. That's not the point. There are many, I'm sure, many wealthy deacons and pastors and bishops across our churches but what is their focus? Is that their focus? Or has God blessed them in that way because of whatever reason? <clears throat> and certainly, if they are wealthy, have they gained that wealth at the expense of others in dishonest ways? If so, they have no, uh, no reason to be considered for a bishop if they would love riches at the expense of others in a dis- and dishonest way. Then it says that it needs to be someone holding the mystery of the faith, which is kind of an interesting statement there. But Paul talks about, in different places, the mystery of the gospel. Not that it's a mystery in the fact that we don't know what it is and we can't understand it, but for ages past, there was this, this somewhat of a clouded uh, cloak around the, the gospel that someday there would be a Messiah, someday there would be a Redeemer, someday, someday, and they, and they didn't quite understand how it was all going to be. And Paul comes along and he talks about the mystery of the gospel. The good news is, is somewhat a mystery in the fact of how God brought it all about and what it is. And he's saying here that a deacon needs to be able to hold that mystery uh, in a way that... Um, is of faith and, and, and hold it properly. Not that it cannot be known, but that it is a mystery and is now revealed in Christ. And this person needs to be able to, to hold that and to, sh- to, to show it to others and to share it. And the mystery of the gospel is something that has changed that person's life. Someone then it talks about uh, following that, a pure conscience, or uh, holding it in a pure conscience. Someone <clears throat> who isn't trying to cover up a lot of things in our life, isn't hiding things, but someone who has a pure conscience before God and before others. 
And then it talks about someone who has proven themselves. And again, not someone who is faultless, but it does talk about those who are blameless. What's the difference between being faultless and blameless? Well, blameless has the idea of living above reproach, or at least there are not things there that people can come at them and say, well, here's a big issue in your life. Here's a problem in your life. Have you taken care of this in your life? What about this that has gone on? What about this? What about that? Um, It's not someone like that, but it's someone who is basically above reproach, one uh, that you cannot just point at and look at a list of issues. And then in verse 13, it talks about their wives. Now, there is a possibility that this person, there's no stipulation that says in order to put someone's name down, they must be married. So it could be that they wouldn't be, but the qualifications, if they are, and they often are, says their wives must be grave. We already talked about what that grave, what grave means. Not slanderers. If, if, you, if you think about a brother for this responsibility, think about their wife as well, if they're married. Think about them. And if you look, think about their wife and they say, oh, boy, they're a slanderer. They're always going around talking bad about other people or saying things like, you know, just yakking about this and that about other people. You might as well... They're disqualified. They're not qualified. Many of man's ministry has been either hindered or completely destroyed by their spouse. And it's not good for a church when a wife isn't on board with her husband and with the church. Sober. Again, someone who thinks seriously, not someone who is never laughs. Again, you want... Uh, a woman who's friendly and happy and so forth, but again, can think seriously. And then it says, faithful in all things. And boy, that's a big, that's a big list right there, faithful in all things. But that's what it's calling for. Again, not someone who is faultless, never makes mistakes, but someone who's a faithful companion to their husband. And then it says, let the deacons be the husbands of one wife. Fortunately, As far as I know, all the brethren here would fit that criteria. Now, different people uh, try to explain that passage differently. Um, Some people say that that means maybe uh, the kind of man who's kind of a a one-woman man, or some translations say uh, married only once. But as I looked at the passage, and I look at the Greek, and I, I, and I, can't, I don't read Greek, but from what I can tell and from what I read, and I think the passage means exactly what it says. I'm just simple enough. I'm going to translate this and exegete this particular passage the same way I would any of the others. A man who only has one wife. That's what Paul told Timothy. Don't ordain a deacon who has two or three wives. Now, you might be saying, well, what was going on in the church back then? Well, we can discuss that later, but keep in mind one thing. These churches were starting out in in pagan areas where the practice was extremely different than what we're used to. And what they were working through in their churches and trying to work out and what trying to sift through, I don't know, but I'm sure there were some situations. But this passage says, and I'm going to believe 
it for what it says, that you don't ordain someone who's got more than one wife. And we're going to leave it there. And that is the kind of attitude they should have, too. You don't want to ordain some man that wishes he had three wives either, okay? Uh, but in this case, it's saying don't ordain someone that has more than one wife. And then it says ruling their children and their own houses well. And often we ordain men when their families are fairly young. And you say, well, we don't know how this is all going to work out. And, uh, you know, I'm blessed to have, I think, I don't think Jess is here this morning, but John is. But um, most of my children are sitting here this morning. I appreciate my family very much. And um, they're not perfect, and I certainly was not a perfect father, but I appreciate them. And, but when I was ordained to the ministry, they weren't even all born yet. And so how do you know how that's all going to work out? So as you think about someone, you might think, well, I don't know how they're going to be when they have uh, older teens or teens. Or, well, it just depends on the brother they might already have. They might have married children. I don't know. We don't have a specific age criteria, although I, I, would, I don't think we'd ordain someone who's already time to retire from the ministry. I don't think we want to. Owen would probably question if we'd ordain someone his age to fill this responsibility. But what I'm saying is they may or may not have teenage or older children, and they might have younger. They might not have any children yet. We don't, I don't know. But if they do have children, they have a family, even at a young age, you can tell something about how they order their family. Do their children respect them? Is there a, a, you can see that fairly early on. And it makes that as one of the criteria here, one of the qualifications, that they rule their children and their own house as well. And then it says this, and I've preached a message already at other ordinations on the blessing of the call. And uh, maybe at some time I'll, I'll preach that message here. I don't know that I ever have. I may have, I just don't recall, but it says, uh, but here it says in verse 13, for they have used, for they that have used the office of a deacon well, purchased to themselves a good degree and great boldness in the faith, which is in Christ Jesus. There's a blessing to being involved in a work like uh, being a deacon. And I don't know, maybe I could, I didn't ask going to do it, so I won't put him on the spot, but maybe I could have him come up and share all the blessings. He could probably share some things that aren't so much of a, don't feel like a blessing too. It concerns me when I go to ordinations in some circles to where it seems as though there's not, where people aren't quite sure which is worse, being ordained or just being executed. I'm serious. I've been in settings where it just about seems that way. And that's just not right. Yes, it's a, it's a calling. It's a responsibility. It's a weight. It's challenging. It, it takes an extra minute or two once in a while to, to, to do the things of the, of the church. But it says here, For they that have used the office of a deacon well, purchased to themselves a good degree. There's something that, that they purchased to themselves that's valuable. It's a blessing to be involved in that way. And so if you're sitting here this morning and, and you know, it's, I'm on this side of the ordination thing. So, you know, it's, it's one thing. I, I'm not worried about being ordained again because it's just 
I'm not. I'm more worried about or concerned that I fulfill my role well that God has ordained me to, the church has. through. But, you know, some of you are sitting here thinking, well, what if it's me, what if it's me? Oh, it's just going to... It's going to ruin my life forever if it is. No, it won't. Um, It will change your life, but it may change it for the better. Maybe a blessing that you don't even realize. There's something about it. If the office is used well, it's a blessing. I want to spend just a couple of minutes uh, talking about maybe some other things, to just some practical things to think about. Um, does the brother and his wife, if he's married, uh, do they support this brotherhood now? And when I say support, I'm talking about their general life. Are they a supportive person in this brotherhood? Do they support the standards of this church? And we've just been through the whole statement of faith and practice thing. we we'll worked through that, or we're not completely through yet, but we're working through it. And I would say, now I'm not saying is it someone who agrees with every standard 100%. Uh, When I was ordained, they asked me if I was in agreement with the statement of faith and practice. And I think I had told them there was one thing I I wasn't 100% behind, but I would certainly honor it and and, uh, support it. So we're not asking for someone that agrees with everything 100% perfectly, but... As a general rule, are they someone who would support the standards of this church and be willing to stand for them? If they're not, don't get the idea that, well, I'm going to put, I'm going to put somebody's name down and get them in there so we can change some of these things. Well, we've just been through the whole thing, but I'll make a couple comments about that in a moment. How involved are they now in the work of the brotherhood? Is it someone that's involved or? Someone you seldom see. What do you see as their focus in life? If you would think about the brothers, name you're thinking about putting down, what would you say is their greatest focus in life? What drives the person? What motivates them most? And think through those things carefully. Are you considering someone's name maybe just because you have their ear and you think if they get in a ministry, well, I finally got someone I can get my agenda across? I hope not. That's not why we consider someone. And never have this idea that, well, you know what? Uh, We need somebody in there to shake things up. Let's do this or that and whatever. And so we just... And, uh, you know, I seen too many situations that of where a fractured leadership team and how it affects the church and it's and so again does it need to be someone that thinks exactly like the rest of us in the ministry well just in case you didn't figure out over the last year and a half working through the statement of faith and practice we don't all think alike in the ministry team now um I'm not sure if the process would have been easier or more difficult if we would have. I don't know. But anyway, we don't all. But is it someone that would be able to 
become a part of the leadership team and work with us. Or if you're looking for someone to just stir up problems, think about somebody else because that's exactly what will happen. And you might say, well, we'll just put their name down and let the Lord sort it out through the lot. He can pick one or he can whatever. And I'm just going to tell you this morning, and I've heard this before, the lot is not a lottery where we just throw whoever's name in and let the Lord sort it out. The Scripture gives us the qualifications. And I don't think God expects us to just put people in and let Him do the picking because whatever. Oh, if they don't fit the criteria, it's all right. God don't. If you go back to the Old Testament, you'll see that the children of Israel wanted a king. And they got one. God gave them what they wanted. It didn't always work out so well. And I'm reminded of a church in this community that, and I'm maybe making some strong statements now, but it's based on some knowledge and some wisdom from other men that, were, that know the situation even more than I do, where a man was put in the lot that had no business being considered for the ministry. And you know what? He was chosen. And it didn't work out that well. Why was he chosen? Why would God do something like that? I think when people are not willing to listen to what God puts clearly in his word and says, well, I'm going to ignore that. Let God pick. God may just pick and say, okay, this is what you, you can't listen to my word then okay, here's your man. See how well it works out for you. It doesn't work out very well. So it is important for us as brothers and sisters in the church to think seriously about these qualifications. Now think about where the brother's at now and his wife and, and where are they at. Are they a servant person now? Are they a supportive person of this brotherhood? Is it someone that, that has a vision that this brotherhood has. And you could say, well, that vision, everybody's got a little bit different vision. I understand that. But I think if you really stop and think about it, you can, you can grasp something of that. And is that the person that we would have? And I believe God can use a lot to choose if we've done our praying and our fasting and our honest looking at the qualifications in the Scriptures prior to the ordination. And so... I just want to encourage all of us, like I said, five weeks away, we're looking at deacon ordination, <laughs> and these things have the uh, possibility of shaping and changing a church. They will. Personalities within leadership do that. And so spend time praying and fasting. Spend time praying and fasting. If you go to Acts chapter 13, I believe it is, you'll see in the beginning of that chapter where they were serving the Lord and they were praying and fasting, and the Holy Spirit said, send these men out because they were doing their work of praying and fasting. You know, without prayer, and and I realize not everyone can spend time fasting. I understand that. But I really believe when it comes to things like ordinations in a church that that is a time when we need to be doing that. We need to be seeking God 
And when we get closer, we'll probably talk more about it. But you know, you may get to that night when we give names, which Lord willing, we'll do that on that Friday evening. And we get to that point, and you might just not feel clear that there's just not. We don't demand it. Everyone gives a name. But you can still be praying and fasting that God will still move and God will work. And I personally am looking forward to uh, what God is going to do in our church here. And, and as we bring younger men on, uh, there's three of us in the ministry team that, that aren't just real young anymore. And so we look forward to what God's going to do and, and how God's going to work and, and who God will use for this calling this, at this particular time in our brotherhood. I should say one other thing, too. Keep this in mind when someone is ordained. Always remember this. That So when those seven deacons were ordained there in Acts, notice that Philip specifically, it was not long, and you actually see him out doing evangelistic work. I don't know who took his place. The Bible doesn't say if they replaced him with someone. But he was off here, and he was off there, and he was off here, and, and later it calls him an evangelist. And so God may use this brother for a while as a deacon here, and, and God might call him to, to go somewhere, and maybe even a mission work or something. We sometimes think, well, we ordain someone for here, they've got to stay here till they die. That's just the way it is. They can't go anywhere. And you know what missions often say is send us, your, those that are send us the ones your church can't live without. And uh, Matt, well, maybe we can't live without you here. I, I hope not. You're a vital part of this. But that's sometimes what missions say. Don't send us the most inexperienced uh, ones on the edge. Just send us the ones. So who knows who, how God may use this, brother. But I'm looking forward to what God will do, what God can do. And I just encourage you to be praying about it and seriously thinking through these things. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the fact that you have called out a people to serve you. And thank you, Lord, that in each brotherhood you call people and different responsibilities. And so, Lord, we're looking forward to who you have already chosen, who you want in this position to fulfill this work as a deacon, to take over what Brother Owen and Sister Wanda have done faithfully through the years. And, Lord, I just we think about that person. I pray that you would prepare their hearts and just prepare ours, and Lord, we just ask for your clear direction in all of this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.